episode 122, Bill Mantlow's Cloak and Dagger, The Early Years. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine. My name is Ben, Ben Avery, and uh, this episode is a special episode. Why is it special? Because it's kind I mean, it's being recorded for the Comic Book Time Machine, but it's also kind of being done because of my other podcast, Welcome to Level 7. Uh, this, is a, this is a topic that's relevant to both of those interests, and this is me uh, taking a look at Cloak and Dagger, which is a TV show that is coming out for the Freeform Network, which used to be ABC Family, which is owned by the Disney company, and they are doing a... Um, kind of a teen-based uh, Romeo and Juliet-esque kind of uh, superhero TV show called Cloak and Dagger that is based on the, the characters we're going to talk about in this in this episode. And so I designed this episode to look at those early stories uh, written by Bill Mantlow, the creator of Cloak and Dagger, the well, part of the creative team, I should say, behind creating Cloak and Dagger. And uh, we're going to look at the Kind of the early, the early years, I guess, um, from their first appearance through their uh, four-issue solo. I guess it's not a solo series if it's the two of them together, but uh, their four-issue miniseries that they had, where they branched off in a way from just being guest stars into being stars in their own right, and and then we're going to end with a one-shot that came out a couple, a little while after that, that four-issue miniseries. Um, but yeah, it, the, the show is going to be very different. First of all, uh, the, this, the, the, uh, this cloak and dagger stories that we're gonna be talking about are all very, very New York. Um, in fact, Ellis Island is a major primary location, uh, not just as just, you know, the setting, but also thematically some of the things that happen in the first issue of their first appearance. And, um, the TV show is going to be set in New Orleans, and I know there's going to be some differences as far as the background of the characters based on the one preview I've seen that um, gave me any information that I actually could like figure out, oh, they're actually doing something here. Um, and so that from that, I, I it's very different. I think the characterization of both characters is going to be kind of different as well. But for, you know, those of you who don't have the opportunity to track down the issues, track down the, the, the collected editions or to read the comics, if you have them or have like um, Marvel Unlimited, the, the online uh, Marvel Comics app, um, this is just kind of a, a primer and, and also just to give you some background, like what are they, where, where, does, where do these characters come from and where do these characters come from well they come from the 80s uh and yeah it, it it's very very 80s and it just uh you know in 1982 well 1980 ronald reagan was elected president of the united states his wife nancy being the first lady uh chose um drugs and drug awareness as her um her cause that she was going to um, 
just embrace and and work on and you know that was that was her her cause and so in 1982 that's when the famous famous just say no campaign started now this was not the first time that drugs and drug awareness became something that was um you know in front and center in pop culture uh the war on drugs was in full swing the the i guess the, i think the phrase war on drugs actually uh, originated in the early 70s uh under under nixon um and but whatever your thoughts on the war on drugs whatever your thoughts on drugs themselves um, whatever your thoughts on the toll that drugs were taking on the youth of the country, uh, drugs were very much in the public consciousness. And, you know, you, you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing a, a very special episode of a sitcom that was going to deal with drugs, addiction, and those kind of things. Uh, there were special comic book issues that were coming out in the 80s that were just, you know, Captain America's War on Drugs. Um, but then you go back, uh, even back to 1971, uh, right around the time that the phrase War on Drugs came. Uh, 1971, Amazing Spider-Man number, uh, number 96, rather, came out that was famous because it was published without a comic code authority approval seal on the cover um they decided they didn't need the comic code authorities approval because they wanted to tell a story about drug addiction drug abuse and it was in the story very much it was an anti-drug story very much anti-drug um this was not that you know marvel was like hey man we're all on drugs and we're just going to do a, a story about drugs. We don't care about the uh, authority. Uh, rather, it was really trying to make a statement about um, drug abuse, drug addiction and that sort of thing. Um, after that, the Comic Code Authority was revised. And so I think it was the next year that DC did its very special Green Lantern, Green Arrow story. And I think it was uh, issue 85 where Speedy, uh, Green Arrow's uh, former sidekick, uh, became a junkie and and had had to deal with the addiction uh and so these stories i'm talking about these very special <laughs> the very special episode of silver spoons or whatever uh they were message stories you know very very clearly and obviously it was a message story the story was being pushed out there to say drugs are bad and don't do drugs and just say no and and i'll just insert right here you know nothing wrong there you know like i personally believe that message stories are a great way to help people learn and the way stories work in a story you are experiencing events with characters and so you're able to take on a another uh facet of the experience where you're not just getting educated but you're um experiencing with the characters and i i do message stories all the time all the time it's part of my job as a children's pastor is to sit down and say here's a story about a puppet who has a problem and the problem could be solved if the puppet just would not tell a lie you know whatever uh it's it's not a bad thing to do necessarily what is bad is when it's done bad <laughs> when it's just not a good story and so some of those one-shot issues of comics aren't great and uh you know the spe very special episodes Sometimes they are great. I mean, the Family Ties episode about alcoholism with Tom Hanks as um, Alex's uncle. That's a fantastic, fantastic episode. And and for me as a young viewer, just all of a sudden a very jarring change where you know, comedy, 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 funny, funny, funny. I got a problem. 
And, you know, it was very jarring to me as a young viewer. But uh, what we have here is another story that is taking on some of these things we're talking about, but it's doing so in such a way where it's not a message about drugs are bad. Um, you know, this, this first issue that cloak and dagger appeared in, uh, Nancy's Reagan's just say no slogan, just around the, co the corner. But these characters who are coming up and through this story, um, they're heroes for whom drugs and the effects of addiction were not meant to make a point about a message, but instead they're meant to be a, a reflection of the real world and their own stories development happens because of these things that are pulled from the real world. And, and so it's, it's very much, yeah, this is New York. These are things that happen. And so in that first issue, you're touching on things of, of drug addiction. You're touching on drug dealing. You're touching on runaways. You're touching on, um, abuse and abusive situations with young people and it's it's touching on a lot of hot button topics but this first issue is where we first meet cloak and dagger and find out kind of about them uh the this first issue is peter parker the spectacular spider-man number 64 and it's from december 1981 that's uh, the cover date is march 1982 but it hit shelves in, in december of 81 and all of this stuff that happens in this issue, it's all there. These things that are going to be reflected in, in the themes and in the stories of these two characters in, in, in years to come. Um, it's all there in their first appearance. Uh, Spider-Man comes across a man on a rooftop who is running for his life, and he's a pharmacist. And he started out by selling drugs from his pharmacy, but then he went on and became a, a, actually a, a chemist for the mob. And now he's terrified that he's going to be killed and he is willing to do anything. If Spider-Man will help, he'll give evidence to the DA. He'll confess everything. And then Cloak and Dagger arrive. Now, Cloak's powers are darkness and shadow. And Dagger's powers are light and brightness. And so Cloak has this cloak that he wears. But if you enter into that cloak, you enter into... Uh, I don't think ever in these early issues call it any kind of realm or anything like that but it's it's a, this shadow realm basically where it's just dark and open and empty and um when cloak and dagger arrive spider-man ends up in cloaks well cloak and it's cold it's scary it's dark and the cape itself it seems to be living you know it's just it's moving and it's it the uh, uh, cloak is able to control the cape to you know grab people and pull people in um when spider-man gets out uh he, the man is dead dagger attacked the man with her daggers of light and she sh shoots these light things at people and and it kills him so spider-man cloak and dagger fight some more and he gets hit with some daggers and between the cloak experience and getting hit by the, dag the daggers he's not feeling too good and they disappear they teleport away using cloaks powers and the cloak uh the cops come and they see this guy who's dead and they recognize who he is they recognize that he's simon marshall and he's a bad dude he works with the mob does drug development basically for the mob and they see the guy's dead they see spidey spidey is able to stumble away but they're glad and spider-man overhears them saying that um they think he did it and they think that he did the city a service 
So we're now getting into some some more ideas here that are going to follow Cloak and Dagger around uh, for forever almost. Um, and that's vigilantism, where uh, these two people are they they are taking their own war on drugs, uh, war on crime, and they are going out and they are finding bad people. Now they have a connection to this particular bad person, and you could make the it's not too big of a leap to to say it's not just um, justice that they're after. It could be revenge. It could be vengeance that they're after as well. But um, this is also a part of who they are. Now, Spider-Man is a vigilante as well, uh, but he has drawn the line where he is going to try and find bad guys, stop bad guys, and leave the bad guys for the law. Uh, but these these two are not. They straight up kill this guy. And he's just dead. And so Peter Parker, as Peter Parker, not a Spider-Man, investigates um, this guy, this uh, this Simon Marshall, and finds out about how that guy was set up in a building in Ellis Island where he would take runaways uh, and use them as test subjects for drugs. And uh, he had this kind of secret lair for the mob in this abandoned building on Ellis Island. And all the kids that he was working on there died. So Spider-Man goes to Ellis Island to investigate. While he's there, he's imagining uh, the huddled masses who came through uh, on that island, hoping to be allowed access to the United States and not to be turned away to a fate worse than death, which is to have to return back to their country because they maybe have a disease or or something else where they're just deemed not worthy. Um, they just want they want to get to the United States. They want to get to that quote unquote American dream. Um, and we'll come back to that in a moment here, but he hears a scream and he finds out the cloak and dagger have rounded up the rest of the mob drug chemist people. And, and this is where we find out that cloak and dagger were both part of those experimental drug tests and they were the only survivors, but they were changed and a fight ensues in which uh, the mob can chemists, you know, they're, they're fighting Spider-Man and cloak and dagger are kind of fighting and they're all fighting each other. You have these three sides. They're all fighting each other. Uh, but it ends when the mob chemists are running away and they run straight into cloaks. Well, his cloak. And as they then run through the darkness, they see a light up ahead and they run into it. And what they see that light up ahead was seeing out through the cloak. They run out through the cloak and through a window. They just crash run right through this window. Um, and they fall through that window to their death. And Spider-Man watches and then turns to confront Cloak and Dagger, but they have teleported away. So that's basically their their origin story. Uh, we get all the elements that we need to know. Uh, we don't get a lot of background for them, but we do know how they got their powers. And now their real-life origin story has them arriving almost fully formed into Bill Mantlo's head. And in... Um, in Marvel Age, he talks about how these characters came to him, and he says, They came in the night when all was silent and my mind was blank. They came completely conceived as to their powers and attributes, their origin and motivation. They embodied between them all that fear and misery, hunger and longing that had haunted me on Ellis Island. And in the whole Ellis Island uh, connection is, a, is an interesting one because um, we're talking about American dreams. And we're talking about um, the 
immigrants who are coming with their American dreams. And then you have all these uh, runaways also who are coming with their own American dreams. Now, they're the runaways American dreams is that they are running away to this better place that's better than whatever it is that they're leaving behind. Um, but this this first issue with them is, is actually a pretty decent done-in-one kind of thing. Uh, it sets up these possible recurring characters, and it's, like I said, a story of revenge and, and justice and vigilantism, touches on the whole war on drugs, while also those American dreams kind of thing. Now, uh, the, the artist is... Uh, Ed Hannigan. And so he would be considered, you know, the other, the other co-creator on this. And he says, um, Bill had a short page or two synopsis of the story that he showed me. And we discussed what the characters would look like. He gave me a lot of leeway, but it was fairly obvious that cloak would be black and have a big animated black cloak and dagger would be white with a skin tight leotard type thing. I'm not sure, but I think I might have come up with her ballet angle. I put the same kind of amulet clasp on both costumes and came up with the dagger-shaped cutout on her costume, which was quite daring at the time. And I would just say, uh, if I may interject here, um, Mr. Hannigan, um, not just daring, but also like really super uh, impractical. Um, <laughs> leave out any kind of inappropriateness, but um, her costume has a cross dagger shape cut out in it so you can see you know from her neck it, it, her neck is bare um in front but it has a collar that goes into this shape and the cutout then goes from her neckline so there is no neckline um there is there's nothing uh there's no uh neck in the shirt that that holds things together up there like so it, that's all right there impractical um but then it goes down and then above her breast is the um the hilt of the dagger and then, um, and then the blade continues down uh, this cutout shape down past her navel. So you can see her belly button. And then there's the point of the dagger underneath her belly button. And so <laughs> this is not just something that you'd have to like have, you know, some tape to keep on. Um, this is, I think almost literally the costume has to be tape. I mean, it is a ridiculous, ridiculous design and it is absolutely a design that has been taken advantage of by many many artists to do some very you know the cheesecake style of artwork and uh she has been very sexualized because of this costume over the years and it's very unfortunate that she is so sexualized because part of her background which we'll talk about when we get to that four issue miniseries uh part of her background is if not actual abuse sexually absolutely she's been taken advantage of sexually and uh, it's just it just has become a part of, you know, comic book lexicon is very, very attractive women with very, very shapely bodies that are showing off as much of that shapeliness as possible. Now, it's the same thing on the men's side. Uh, it's just a very different kind of shapeliness. Um, and I really can't speak to the uh, the sexualization of, you know, a, a hero wearing the Superman style um, uh tights i guess uh but with with dagger that is absolutely a part of what has become a part of anyway um just her character uh cloak on the other hand is wearing a giant cloak and it's it's cool i mean they they both are using the visual medium of comics to the their advantage and uh his cloak has uh some stripes in it to give it a little bit more um 
make it easier, I think, to show the shaping of it as it's moving around. Uh, and it reminds me a little bit of, you know, um, Spawn's cape or Batman's cape when drawn by Todd McFarlane. It's just these kind of living things. But in this case, I think it actually is. If not, the cloak itself is not living. The shadow that is that the cloak en encompasses is alive and able to be controlled and moves that cloak around with it. And uh, so both of these characters uh, have a very visual thing that also, once you look at them, you know kind of what they represent. I mean, cloak represents darkness um, with just all of the blue black ink being used and dagger represents light with her blonde hair, her white ballet costume. So they showed up again, five months later in Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man uh, issue number 69, August 82 is the, uh, the cover date and May 18, 1982 is the on sale date. And in this issue, we have a very similar story. Cloak and dagger find a group of drug dealers in a, an abandoned school, um, which metaphorically speaking, if you want to talk about, you know, loss of youth and stuff like that, there's absolutely something to that here where you have this abandoned school. These dealers have been selling to children. And so they end up giving Cloak and Dagger the name of their supplier, and that's Silvermane. Meanwhile, Spider-Man has personal problems, as he does. Um, Aunt May's in a nursing home. Her home is boarded up. Um, an old guy named Nathan Lubineski uh, notices that Spidey sure does show up a, a lot around that house. Uh, but as he's Going down memory lane, he hears sirens and follows them to an abandoned factory building, and it's being used by the mob as a meeting place. And Spidey overhears how the mob people inside were left, just kind of cold and 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 uh, lifeless. And, and he recognizes the work of Cloak and Dagger, and so they find each other. Cloak monologues about duty, and if their life is to have any meaning after what turned them into these things that are other than human then they must not stop until the drug dealers and suppliers are stopped. And so a fight in the rain ensues. And, uh, you know, I don't talk a lot, a lot about art style sometimes, but um, this is this fight is very moody and it's a classic Spider-Man feeling. And when I say it's classic Spider-Man feeling, um, I mean, just what I kind of what I associate with Spider-Man of the the 70s and and maybe the early 80s, uh, which is that he somehow the artwork is both stiff and animated at the same time. <laughs> and uh, that just, yeah. Anyway, um, after he goes into the cloak and gets hit again by daggers, um, they leave. And then, yeah, there's definitely, you know, Spider-Man has his personal problems involving a classmate who knows a secret ID. And um, he has to deal with that. But then he goes to Kingpin to find out about what's going on because he knows the name Silvermane now as well. And uh, Kingpin is more than happy to give the location of Silvermane so Spider-Man can go and help him. But Kingpin also mentions right there and there he never engaged in the drug trade because that's beneath him. And so that's that's good. So Spider-Man goes to protect Silvermane, but Cloak and Dagger followed Spider-Man. Was it all part of their plan? Yep. They let him do the legwork and they followed him there. And so... Um, in this scene, then, you have this very interesting thing of, um, again, kind of thematically looking at, you know, how does this whole drug thing work? And you have this these youths who have been affected and hurt by drugs who are trying to stop this. And they are attacking Silvermane, who is an old man in a bed. Like, it's a nice bed with, you know, four posters and that kind of thing. But um, Silvermane is an old man man hooked up to machines and so spider-man fights to save him 
the mob there, they, the, there's guys there and they fight, um, but they all fail. Dagger kills the guy. And so we get this gross last panel of the tubes have been cut. They're dripping, you know, have the liquids in it and it's dripping this red liquid onto the floor beside the bed. And it's gross. Uh, and maybe only gross to me. I don't know, but I just found everything else in there. I'm like, Oh, Oh, that's gross. That's the one thing that just kind of stuck out to me. Um, but again, like I said, there's that age thing where you have this aged, aged man who's dying of old age and scientists are working on him and trying to help him so he can not die of old age. But uh, you have that juxtaposed against these youthful heroes who are trying to stop this crime. And and when you really think about it, I mean, who are the people who are causing the trouble? You know, it's it's the it's these adults. Adults are providing both supplies and opportunity to youths to hurt other youths. So the next issue, Silvermane <laughs> gets turned into a cyborg. Uh, Cloak and Dagger continue killing drug pushers and Spider-Man continues having personal problems. And the majority of this issue, though, is a cool fight with Silvermane, who is coming after Cloak and Dagger, and they end up in a subway that actually features a train that goes into Cloak's cloak, and then he's able to turn it around, and, and it goes out of Cloak's cloak, and, you know, staying on the tracks. It's kind of cool. Um, the fight scene itself is a really good fight scene. They fight around the environment, and the battle uses the environment well, and they do eventually win and destroy or kill uh, Silvermane. But at what cost? What cost? Uh, they disappear into the night. So that's that's just kind of, you know, seeing the routine, right? You're seeing the, the pattern here. Um, so a year later is when they come back. Um, the This issue that I just talked about um, was from uh, cover date uh, September and release date May, uh, release date June for the issue, that second issue. Well, now we're in back in um, May 17th was the release date of Spectacular Spider-Man number 81 which has a cover date of August uh, 1983. Um, and so this one features the Punisher. And so now here's where it gets really interesting as far as people who are following the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, this issue features Kingpin, who's from the Daredevil series. It features Punisher, who's from the Netflix series, well, the Daredevil Netflix series, but also the Punisher series. Cloak and Dagger, who are going to be in that new series that I'm talking about that's coming up in a couple weeks or has already come out, depending on when you're listening to this time-traveling podcasty thing. Um, and Spider-Man, who is also a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, if you've seen Avengers Infinity War, if you've seen Captain America Civil War, and if you've seen Spider-Man Homecoming, you've seen um, Spider-Man. So you have all these characters. This story could be done in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, now, later... Uh, we're going to have another uh, we're gonna have an issue coming up where um, they wouldn't be able to do uh, one of the upcoming issues because of some, you know, the rights and stuff like that. But as far as what we've done so far, it's very interesting because this is all very much uh, characters who belong to or have been added to and brought embraced into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So this issue starts with the Punisher escaping from prison, and that's not good for criminals and we're going to find out why uh later but um then we cut away to peter parker and you know he has personal problems and um one of his personal problems involves black cat who's in police custody in a hospital uh and apparently is his current girlfriend another personal problem that he has is that his landlady is being attacked by druggies and if it's drugs then cloak and dagger must be nearby so uh what's interesting here is first of all peter parker and his landlady they uh 
they fight off the druggies and the druggies run away. As the druggies run away, they run into Cloak and Dagger. And this is where we see a little bit of evolution of, of the powers. Um, daggers, well, her daggers, actually cleanse people of their physical addiction. So these poor guys, they fight Peter Parker and the landlady. They encounter Cloak and Dagger as they escape. And then after getting clean and Cloak and Dagger teleport away, Punisher jumps in, demands the name of their drug connection, and then says, a pity your cures came too late. Or maybe more like, <clears throat> a pity your cures came too late. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> Spider-Man continues uh, doing his Spider-Man thing, and he finds some junkies who are, uh, they're, they're dead. It's not good. Um, they're junkies. They're drug junkies. And since it's drugs, Cloak and Dagger must not be far behind. And yes, they aren't. Um, and so Spider-Man, um, I, 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 he confronts them. He says, Cloak and Dagger, I should have known. Did you ever hear about due process of the law? Junkies are people. They have legal rights too, but you two don't seem to care about that. And then they fight. Spidey goes into the cloak he comes out of the cloak again. This time, Dagger doesn't stop him with light daggers. She just stops him with light. She illuminates the room, and they see that the junkies were shot. The room is shot up before Cloak and Dagger even got there. It was obviously the work of the Punisher. The next issue after that <laughs> starts out with Punisher punishing a bunch of lawbreakers. There's a spousal abuser who gets his apartment shot up, and um, it's actually a really that's the crime there. I'm just like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, man. As far as, you know, Punisher taking out his punishing angst on them. But then it's very realistic, true to life in that, um, he's hit, but not killed. And his wife who he was in the, in the process of beating up, he hit his wife, but then she goes to help him and she's like, Oh no, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll call the ambulance. And, um, that is one unfortunate reality is that um, people who are abused are loyal to their abusers sometimes um, for, for a variety of reasons that honestly, I, I don't think are even really any fault of their own, the, 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 the abuse victim, I should say, um, because of the mindset of them uh, where they're, they're facing down this terrible situation. Um, sometimes it's, the, the abuse is my fault and sometimes you know I, I deserve it or it's I, I, I can't get anyone better or this this is the person that I'm familiar with or I, I can't leave this life I can't leave my children you know all sorts of different excuses that happen um, and I would just say if you're listening to this and you are in a situation of emotional or physical um, abuse I definitely say uh, if you can't leave that situation right now, just talk to someone, find help, call those hotlines that are out there. Um, talk to someone, borrow courage from someone, um, get out of there if you can. And if you feel like you can't talk to someone who can help you build toward getting out of that situation because you don't deserve it. You do not deserve someone who is intentionally hurting you emotionally or physically. And I have seen too many people who feel like they do deserve it because of maybe they come into that abusive relationship coming out of other abusive situations or whatever. You don't deserve it. And so reading that page, that was a difficult page for, for me to read. Um, then Punisher goes on to become just ridiculous. He shoots at some litterers <laughs> and yeah, because uh, they dropped the newspaper and then 
because of the gunshots, a cabbie runs a red light. And so he shoots up the cabbie's cab and it just, it's, you know, yes, Punisher punishes the lawbreakers, but it's ridiculous. And now he plans to kill Kingpin. And so do, so does Cloak. They, and everyone ends up converging on Kingpin's headquarters. Kingpin, of course, is not killed, but when the dust clears, Punisher is unconscious on the ground and Cloak and Dagger disappear in the last few panels. <laughs> so, um, these guest appearances, the story elements I'm liking, it's just every single one of them ending with like the last three panels are, uh, you know, Spider-Man talking to them and then they just disappear or Spider-Man turns around and then turns back and they disappear. And that's a little repetitious. So their next appearance is the next, the very next month in Marvel teen up annual number six, which is, um, the, the street date is July 5th. Um, but the, uh, the cover date is basically 1983. Um, because the annuals are, you know, they're on the shelf for a lot longer and they have a longer shelf life, longer story. Uh, this Marvel team up team up annual number six is cloak and dagger and the new mutants. So he's not just teaming up with one. He's not just teaming up with the other. He's teaming up with, with both of these groups. And so, um, threads from their origin and from their first story, uh, they're, and from the routine, they're all there. Um, Cloak and Dagger and Spider-Man clash as they work together to break up a chop shop. But why are Cloak and Dagger there when it's it's a car? You know, this, this is where people bring cars that have been stolen to be chopped up into pieces so they can be sold without the identifying markers of, you know, um, identification pin numbers on on a car that would be, you know, if it was intact. So there's no drugs or are there no drugs? They find a bunch of dead teenagers in the other room. Dead teenagers who were killed in a, ma a manner very similar to what happened to the, the dead runaways that were part of the experiments that Cloak and Dagger were a part of. Meanwhile, Cannonball, Psyche, Sunspot, and Wolfsbane of the New Mutants are visiting New York. They go and see a show, and then they get attacked, and they get separated, and um, that's all you know, setting up what's going to happen next because Spider-Man somehow follows cloak and dagger to a church. That's the church where they seek refuge again. Uh, they have a relationship with the priest there and cannonball and psyche also both managed to find refuge in that same church. So Spider-Man gets there because he's following cloak and dagger and it's kind of coincidental because, you know, let's face it, he's not really following them. They teleported there, but he's kind of figured out where they're going. Um, Cannonball and Psyche, they just happen to stumble upon the same church. Um, and so they've revealed that Sunspot and Wolfsbane are gone. And it turns out that they're kidnapped as runaways and they are now getting experimented on the same experiments that turn cloak and dagger into what they became. And so sunspot and wolfsbane become kind of like cloak and dagger sunspot is interesting because he's got this kind of sun based power that he uses, but it's also a dark, uh, he has a dark look and it has actually looks similar to what, um, cloak looks like underneath his cloak. Wolfsbane is basically a werewolf girl. Um, but she starts glowing with light. And so when they're able to find their friends and they fight the bad guys and then um, fight, have to fight their friends, but uh, Cloak absorbs all the darkness from Sunspot, which is easy for him to do. Dagger absorbs all the light from Wolfsbane, which is not so easy. And this is where, this is a really nice moment here. Uh, Dagger must release her excess light and that goes into Cloak. And then 
they disappear into the night. <laughs> I mean, it's not just that they disappear into the night. I mean, uh, they're they're invited to come to Xavier's school and you know be where teenagers like them are, but they can't be helped by anyone, not even Professor X's school. So they disappear into the night in the last three panels of the the book. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> we. It's a little repetitious, but the very next week after this appeared is when they have their next appearance. So this is not, you know, like I said, the, the annual is on the shelves for a long, long time. But it hit shelves July 5th. July 12 is when issue number one of the Cloak and Dagger four issue miniseries happens. And we are finally breaking away from the Spider-Man guest star routine the unfortunate thing is that this well first of all let's start with the good and the good is the first issue of this miniseries is fantastic i really really like this issue it introduces uh, a new cast it introduces a priest character it introduces a detective character it introduces cloak and dagger and they do what they do with uh you know the drug runners in that and it shows how um dagger i mean this is something that's come up where uh, cloak needs dagger's light because cloak actually needs living light and so he takes it from the bad guys when he would bring them into his cloak he's taking living light from them which is why spider-man felt bad when he came out he had lost some of his living light dagger is able to give him light which is this very this is a symbiotic relationship that they have and Dagger continues with her power where she's able to cure addiction with her light. And so you have uh, Cloak and Dagger taking refuge in the, uh, what's the church called? The Holy Ghost Church on 42nd Street. And so the, the priest starts out with him praying and, and this is when they first meet each other. So this actually, the series takes place before the annual. Um, and the other thing that, is interesting is uh and i'm going to bring this up now is each of these issues starts out with a verse from the bibles it's from psalm um psalm 139 which is a very very famous uh, psalm from the bible it's interesting because um it's kind of misquoted a little bit uh, but i'll explain why in just a second it says the darkness and light are both alike dot 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 i am fearfully and wonderfully made psalm 139 14 and it's actually uh, kind of a paraphrase of a couple different verses that's not just that 14th verse um so but it all really really ties into the whole cloak and dagger kind of thing where you have this light and dark dichotomy and it says uh if i start earlier than that in in verse in verse nine, it says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light becoming night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. And that's that kind of paraphrase where Bill Mantlo says, uh, um, the darkness and light are both alike. Then it's for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And that's a, a famous verse because that's actually a big part of um, a, a very easy way to quickly describe how most, 
I'm going to say most, because it's definitely not all. <laughs> most Christians feel about life, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, um, even if you are not or do not feel it, I should say. Um, so anyway, the uh, yeah, so this issue then sets everything up. It sets up the whole relationship with the priest where he uh, is trying to give them guidance and trying to help them. And it sets up how they just can't help themselves. They have to go and fight uh, crime and stop the drug dealers. And it sets up the detective who's trying to come after them and and stop them because they are vigilantes. And again, all these themes that are now here, you know, months, months later after being created in 1981 for a comic book that comes out at the, when was that again? That was at, I think, the beginning, no, December 1981. So from from 1981 till here, 1983, um, those things that Bill Mantlo had planned for them as far as just the ideas of what stories Cloak and Dagger are going to appear in, they're all here. This first issue sets up very nicely who these characters are, why they do what they do, and what it is that they do and how they do it. And then it also sets up this detective and it sets up this priest. Moving from there into issue two and three, you then have a really bad, bad guy. And this bad guy is um, just this kind of greasy looking little rat of a guy. <laughs> and he switches out medicine bottles. He buys a medicine bottle. He puts poison in the medicine bottle, then goes back and switches it out. And just in broad daylight, switches it out, and he's killing people who are uh, what? Well, they find out he's killing people who are um, going to these different to these three different drug stores that are in the same chain, and he's getting revenge um, on the people who treated him like dirt, who owned the drug stores or whatever. Um, so that becomes kind of the main bad guy, and that's issue two and three that they're dealing with that. Um, but in between there, um cloak and dagger get separated and and cloak wants to get away from dagger because he doesn't want to pull her into his darkness um so she meanwhile is shooting darts just randomly up into the sky that seek him out and when they find him they they give him light which he needs because he's he's got to feed somehow on living light but um with with these two issues they're they're dealing with this i this this guy and he at the end of issue two pulls the guy in and so now the detective gave them inf gave information for them to find this guy the detective wants them to find him um but then when they do find him basically it's it's a murder case now because he's pulled into the cloak and um and again cloak is dealing with this these issues and problems of, of addiction and need of these uh you know the the living light and so finally at the end of issue three um dagger has given up so much light that she has to um she passes out she's taken to the hospital and uh dagger ends up coming back and there's a whole thing where the, the, the church gets invaded by by young punks and and dagger fights off the you know the urge to just pull them all in and, and just suck them dry of their their living light um but he ends up spitting out of his cloak, the, the bad guy, and the bad guy's not dead yet. Um, and you you are insane when you come out, but you do gain regain your, your sanity after after a little while if you're not dead when you come out of the cloak. And uh, the detective's like, well, if there's no murder, I, I don't need to take you in. And so she actually takes Cloak to the hospital so that Cloak can help Dagger, and, and he does. And, and so this is where, this is my problem. 
is that the order of the issues just feels really off because the climax for the series is tucked away into issue three. And then issue four is just cloak and dagger saying, Oh, everyone's fe- we're, we're feeling better now. <laughs> it's, it's cloak and dagger uh, telling their origin story, like literally just them telling their story. I feel like that should have happened maybe earlier in the series, but um, yeah, let me tell you who cloak and dagger are. Um, my real name is Tandy Bowen. This is uh dagger telling your story a wealthy suburb of uh no i'm sorry i grew up in shaker heights ohio she is not a wealthy suburb of cleveland she is talking about a a wealthy suburb of cleveland my mom made plenty of money so i always got everything i wanted except love and so then shows how she tried to invite her mom to come and see her performance in swan lake because she's a ballerina her mom doesn't come also shows her kind of skeevy uh ballet teacher who's really not nice and and just i feel like he's just leering at her it's it's a problem um anyway tough life uh tandy bowen the poor little rich girl but i hung in there and then uh this is where that that kind of if not sexual assault definitely sexually taking advantage of her um there's another character who comes and and recognizes that she doesn't have um the the meaning that she wants she doesn't have the acceptance that she wants and she doesn't have the love in her life that she needs uh, her stepdad is the only person who takes an actual positive uh interest in her life and and she shuts him out because of what he represents being her stepdad and, and with with her mom she, um so yeah uh at least rob wanted to love me which is more than i could say for my parents and then she, there's the argument with her stepdad. And he's like, Phil was right. I tried to hurt him because my mom and dad had hurt me. Stupid. It wasn't his fault that his marrying my mom made me made him my stepfather. It was a package deal. I even think he loved me. But what did I know of love? Um, and then she talks about how she was scared. And, and Rob comes and says, Rob was older, sure of himself. I told myself he loved me. I lied. And three weeks later, Rob left for college, feeling empty and alone and unloved. I left too. And that's why she ran away. And then um, Cloak. I grew up in a vastly different surroundings from Dagger. His name was uh, Tyrone. I don't see his last name here. Uh, Anyway, it shows him growing up in um, just this really bad ghetto area and, uh, he has a really, really close friend who's going to help him. Tyrone has a stutter and he's not going to succeed in life, uh, except he can succeed at basketball, but that's not going to help him enough. But he has a friend who is going to help him, uh, his friend Billy. But unfortunately, they got they were wrong place, wrong time. A place was robbed. Police came. And this is I said that that situation with the uh, the abusive uh, couple was difficult to read. This is also difficult to read, especially in light of all the things that have been just brought to national consciousness. But this is something that this stuff is in national consciousness now because things are being caught on on camera. Um, but this is the kind of thing that it, it happened back then too, where um, Tyrone's friend gets gunned down by police because uh, when the police come, even though they're not part of the crime, Tyrone he tries to explain to the police what's happening. He can't because of his stutter, but Billy is running away and telling Tyrone, we need to run away. And as he's running away, he gets shot in the back by police. And that was it. You know, he lost the one person who could really help him. And so he also runs away. And then he and, uh, he and Tandy meet up in, in New York. Um, he helps her to not get robbed in New York 
and they strike up a friendship, but then they are also kidnapped. And that's where the whole situation happened with them, with the drug testing. And as they escaped from this drug test, they ended up in the river. And as they're dying, they manifest their powers and they help each other. And <laughs> this is one of the goofiest bits. Uh, I said before that uh, Dagger's costume is a little bit get, uh, goofy um, because of the way that could not possibly stay on her body. Um, cloak costume also goofy because it's just a tablecloth they found in an alley and i'm like that's a cool looking costume it's a cool looking cloak it's not a cloak it has nothing to do with his powers it's just a tablecloth that they found and it's it sticks because that design does not go away so anyway the four issues are good other than the order of the the issues i liked it though i i like the the street crime that they're dealing with i like um their dynamic of the symbiotic relationship that they have with with each other and then in marvel fanfare uh number 19 which is from march 1985 december 11 is the release date 1984 um cover date was march 85 this is where we get one more bill Mantlo story. Now, after this, um, there's a bunch of stories. Uh, well, I should say a bunch. There's three issues of Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man where um, Cloak and Dagger fight Silvermane, who comes back to life. And that's written and drawn by Al Milgram. Um, but they aren't the greatest. And and the reason, maybe because they're not Bill Mantlo? I, d I don't know. But they're not Bill Mantlo. And so I'm going to stick with Bill Mantlo, and I'm going to end on this really positive note, this Marvel fanfare issue. It's a, a three-part story, and it it starts with a, a cute little cartoon that's on the inside front cover. And I'll go ahead and, and read that. It's a, an editor's note. <laughs> and so um, apparently in Marvel Fanfare number 18, uh, there was a problem. So here's the editorial, um, which uh, it's, it's Al Milgram, actually, again. Um, nine, nine panel cartoon. And he's saying, wow, what a relief. I found these missing cloak and dagger pages drawn by Tony Sammons. Those of you who were with us last month will recall that some of them have mysteriously disappeared from the fanfare files. I was starting to get a little frantic, more than a little. And then you see that he's holding something in his two hands. It looks like an umbrella. We find out it's not. Uh, not only was I unable to run the job as a backup feature last issue, but barring that, I'd hope to run all three parts this time around. I searched high and low, figuring I'd just misplaced them somehow, but they didn't turn up. For a while, I thought I was going to have to make this the special do-it-yourself issue of Marvel Fanfare. And of course, the second and third chapters were useless to me without the completed first installment. Luckily, the pages did resurface eventually, thus saving me from a nervous breakdown by the narrowest of margins. But for those of you who were unhappy with our desperation use of two portfolios last issue... I think an apology is in order. I said an apology is in order, right, Tony? Wow, oh, right, right. I apologize, fans. And then it shows that he's actually twisting Tony's arm behind his back. That's what looks like an umbrella is, is a, a sleeve, an arm in his sleeve. And he says, uh, and Al, I'll never, borrow, I'll never borrow my pages back without telling you again. I promise. Now, will you please let me go? That's my drawing arm. And each of the three uh, story, uh, three chapters in this story are, are drawn by, um, I think, different artists. This first chapter is drawn by Tony Sammons written by Bill Mantlow. Um, the second chapter is uh, Rick Leonardi and Terry Austin. And then part three is um, by Gamble and Freeman. And so this suggests to me that these were intended to be uh, three uh, backup stories in three different issues of Marvel, Marvel Fanfare, but they put them all together in one issue. And it's a good story. Uh, chapter one, we see the dichotomy. We see that Cloak is the one who punishes the pusher and Dagger is the one who heals the addicted uh, with her with her daggers of light. And so it's it's they're helping the victims and and 
um, punishing the criminals. Uh, but Dagger wants to live outside this life. And so she leaves Cloak behind to go into the city. Uh, while in the city, she dances at a discotheque and it's a really nice two page splash sequence. And she just kind of lets herself get in the zone. Meanwhile, a drug pusher laments how Cloak and Dagger have heard his drug trade at the bar. And he sees her and realizes, wait, that's her. That's the one. And so he is able to like just pull her away and walk her away and take her away. So meanwhile, Cloak is fighting the darkness that threatens to consume him without Dagger. And uh, he's looking for her. And the drug guy takes her outside in her dance-induced stupor and knocks her out, takes her away. Brings her to the drug lord. And they try to decide what to do with her. But while she's laying on the ground, she has this buildup of power. And uh, Cloak is dealing with his hunger and his desire for light. And she now has to deal with her powerful buildup of light. And there's this almost overload of, of power. It almost seems corrupting. And um, so Cloak comes, rescues her by absorbing, you know, her extra light and they, they are together. And it's a really good note to go out on uh, as far as this kind of early years storytelling from Bill Mantlow about Cloak and Dagger, because you see this kind of becomes the, just a nice another picture of their relationship their symbiotic relationship it's one of support where they're supporting each other because they both went through tragedy together um but it's also one of necessity and it's also one of friendship they actually like each other and it's not a romance and that's i like it when you have friendships that aren't romances and um you know she needs him to take her light or she will be corrupted by this great power and he needs her to feed her because of his insatiable hunger for light living light that would completely corrupt him. And meanwhile, you have this constant thread of these vigilantes who punish the guilty. And you have this um, extreme vigilantism of the Punisher. But these two characters are a little, a little richer. You know, she heals and he punishes and together they, they work together as, and, and you get some conversations with them about being judge, jury and executioner and all that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, it, what what is a TV show going to be like? I I don't know, but this is where the TV show comes from. This is this is the foundation that they're built on. Now I do have the cloak and there's lots of cloak and dagger series that happened after that. Three different series just belonging to cloak and dagger, um, in very different tones. And and I've read some of them. I my personal experience with them is that I've loved these characters since high school. Um, they're th- when I was I was buying Captain America and I was buying Spider-Man stuff, um, but then I started buying really the only comics I was buying after that was I bought a run of Cloak and Dagger and Star Trek. And um, so those were kind of all uh, some Avengers as well. But those were all the comics that I was really buying on my own. And just these teenage heroes were were characters I really liked. And so I I had some of the early issues from their third series, I think it was. And. And then was able to find a complete set of them for a really, really low price, the 20 issues or whatever. And uh, so from there, it just I've always liked these characters. And and so now they get their own TV show and we will see what it's going to be like. Um, the characterization of Cloak and Dagger seem to be very different um, where from the preview that I saw. And I, I'm not going to talk about that because I don't want to spoil it. You know, I want you to if you're going to watch it, to watch it and enjoy it. Uh, but again, hopefully this will allow you to enjoy it a little bit more because if a character named Silvermane pops up, you'll know why. <laughs> and if Vincent D'Onofrio shows up, you'll know why. I, I don't think we're going to get Punisher. I don't think we're going to get any of the Runaways. They also, Cloak and Dagger had a crossover with the Runaways in, in the Runaways series uh, not too long ago. But um, 
these two characters, Cloak and Dagger, are very much a part of the Marvel 616 universe. And now it's going to be interesting to see what do these characters look like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's it. That's it for this episode. I want to thank you for listening and I hope you had a good time with it. If you did like this and want to know more about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, go over to welcometolevel7.com where you can find episodes about every single episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're running episodes about the Netflix series. We cover every single movie. We covered every single episode of Runaways from Hulu. And we'll be covering Cloak and Dagger because it's part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And also you can go to comicbooktimemachine.com to find more episodes of the Comic Book Time Machine as we take a look at comics from 70 years ago or seven days ago. It just depends on what we're picking up and we want to read. And yeah, I mean, this this show, Comic Book Time Machine, is devoted to reading comics that we enjoy. So hopefully it's been relevant to your interests. What's next here? I don't know. But until next time, thanks for listening and Godspeed.